Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. We are thrilled to have two smart women in medicine and telehealth join us today. We are with Aditi Joshi and Shruti Chandra who are both with Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. They are walking us through how telehealth is helping their facility, especially emergency medicine. These women will share with us the challenges and successes of telehealth and where things are headed for physicians with a great website manner. So let's jump right in. Hi, everybody. Today we're speaking with Aditi and Shruti with Jefferson Hospital. They are both in the telehealth space as physicians. And so ladies, we actually met you just a bit ago in a femtech conference meeting. And we know our piece of the health IT puzzle in healthcare. We wanna hear specifically what you guys are doing in healthcare and health IT. So um, Aditi, do you wanna go first and tell our listeners what you're working on? Sure, so I currently run our telemedicine program at Jefferson. I do specifically the program that runs out of the emergency department. So I run our acute care calls that we do, kind of like direct to consumer that people think about and are familiar with. And I also run our teletriage program meaning all of the ER patients that come through the hospital, we actually use telemedicine to triage them. So I run the operations of that. Um, Aside from that, I actually also run our education for residents and medical students. And I also do all of the training for providers and for our fellows. So that's part of it. And then I also teach medical students digital health. (laughs) Okay, so before we move on, Give us an example, or the consumers or the other people listening out there, ER and telehealth almost sounds a little bit like an oxymoron for an emergent situation or these acute things. What are some things somebody might use telehealth for at Jefferson? What, what kind of needs do you see? So telehealth itself is really just a way to practice medicine over video. It's a way to communicate, correct? So you can use telehealth in 
any type of medicine. So primary care can use it for chronic care management. Surgeons can do post-operative visits. You can do provider to provider like Telestroke. And for acute care, you know, emergency medicine physicians, that's what we do. We treat people in crisis. So for anything that's acute care, we're actually best suited for it. So what we normally see for our direct-to-consumer, you might think of, I have the flu, or I have this abdominal pain, I have this headache. A lot of that we can fully treat, and then we don't need to send them anywhere. But if we need to, we're very good at looking at someone and saying, oh no, you need to come see me in person in the emergency room or maybe the urgent care. So we would see that. I can give you an example. For uh, one night, I was on call, and I had two two similar complaints to children called by their parents, both of them having symptoms of croup. It's a viral disease. It causes this barking cough. Parents who've had children that have it know exactly what that sounds like. Oh, yeah. So both of them, you know, they were concerned. Do I take our child to the ER? What do they look like? And I could take a look and say, well, what's their fever? How are One of them was running around. The other one had this very specific type of breathing we call retractions that tell us that the breathing isn't going well. And I was like, well, no, that one, this child needs to go to the ER now. The other one, you can wait it out and see. So we can do a lot of that just overnight, and that gives one parent a lot. That gives them a lot of relief to know what to do. Shruti, tell us about your piece of the health IT puzzle in telehealth. Sure. So I am also an emergency medicine physician and practice in the department, but I also perform the telehealth duty. So I do the teletriage aspect of it, and I'm on call for on-demand telehealth calls as well. But my focus and my background comes from education. So I approached the 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 subject and of telehealth from the education aspect of it. We realized there isn't any training out there when we started off, which was about four and a half years ago. That's when a lot of our programs started to materialize. There was nothing out there. So we plan to educate the people who are running this program because the program cannot be sustainable without actually trained, educated individuals. So the first program we created was this telehealth facilitator certificate program, and that's the one that I'm the director of and I run it. I just completed a semester last week, so we do it about four, four, year, four times a year, and it's all online. Um, but I've also helped with uh, Aditi to create programs for every level of training. So we realize we need training not just for our providers who are giving the telehealth. We also need training for the facilitators, the coordinators, the admin staff of it. But we also wanted to train them throughout their medical school or PA school or nursing school careers. So students, residents, fellows, we're training everybody and they all have these training programs that have some overlap but also have very distinct ways to teach different um, groups of people. And we're trying to just train the future physician because we know this is kind of where it's going. I can definitely understand the value, especially as a parent myself, for what you're talking mm-hmm. about, that, that croupy cough, mm-hmm. some of these things, and yeah. being able to do that. i got to ask about the physician specifically. We worked in EMR implementation early on, and so some of the newer docs you're bringing up, I'm sure that technology is maybe more commonplace for them, perhaps. Have you had any challenges getting physicians and other clinicians or even support staff around telehealth services? kind of not only up to speed, but I guess really embracing it and getting them to buy into this and how it works versus sitting literally elbow to elbow or face to face with your patients. What are some of those challenges? Are you talking about more experienced physicians, people who didn't necessarily grow up with technology? Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe people that you feel like you kind of got to drag along, right? Do you have any of that? 
There is a lot of that. I think with all technology, there are always going to be first movers. We consider ourselves those people. But yes, we had to drag some of our colleagues with us. But because Jefferson created a big institution-wide program, everyone knew they had to do it, right? So there was some <laughs> of that. But if you're talking about more experienced physicians versus you know newer physicians who are good with technology, I have to tell you, it's interesting. You would think intuitively newer physicians would be better at it. You know, it actually turns out that it's not about the technology, it's about the physicians and their clinical experience. So the doctors who had more experience um, ended up being adopting it more quickly because it takes less time to get used to being on video than it, and it takes more time to be good as a clinician. And that was the difference. Yeah, so the big thing that we noticed was we just sort of had to introduce them to the space. And just after a few calls, they just said, okay, this is just me being a doctor, just through a different modality. And that's all they had to sort of understand. Now, there are some specifics that we talked about, you know, room and camera placement and watching and looking and, you know, and the website manner that people talk about, that is a real thing. And we talk about that and we, we train our physicians in that. But all of these experienced physicians who know how to be a doctor, they, they, they took to it really easily. And I think in emergency medicine, we are sort of a newer field. It's, I hate saying that, but when you compare it to the other ones, we're a slightly newer field. So we are really good at adapting. And we're really good in the way that we do it. We're, we're really good at doing this. The people who I've noticed um, having a little bit more difficulty is some of the other more established physicians or practices who just have difficulty changing habits. And that's what they're that's what we have to do, help them change habits. The primary care physicians who are trying to translate that 15-minute face-to-face meeting with their patient into a 15-minute phone call patient or a video call or whatever it is with their patient. So for emergency medicine and the department that we work in, we actually have done very well, and a lot of our physicians have been adopters. I have a question kind of on the patient side of things mm-hmm. because um, it's one thing to have the setup and you're talking about the you know the placement of the, mm-hmm. the camera, mm-hmm. et cetera, at, at your facility, but mm-hmm. how do you um, support patients who are maybe experiencing this for the first time? We have a great administrative staff, so Shruti's course actually helps train them as well. And that's imp- imperative for anyone who's going to run the program. We have people who work with the IT tech, reaching out to patients, doing test calls. They help them out. All of our physicians also are trained in basic troubleshooting with the patient, you know, just to make sure that things that are easily fixed we can do. You know, they you're know, muted. Turn on the camera, switch it around. Are you in a dark room? Mm-hmm. Turn on the lights. Make sure you're not the lights behind you, in front of you, stuff like that. So, or using the correct that. browser, or mm-hmm. just making sure little things like that. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't work, we do have a team that helps out. Most of the time, the patients find it easy. It's like downloading any other app, and they made it as user-friendly as they possibly could. And then in some situations, if it's kind of long-term patients, we discuss that in the office. We actually help them download the app right in front of us. And by we, I mean our support staff most of the times. But they get ready so that their future calls can be, or the future visits can be telehealth visits. So that one way to make sure that everything is actually working the way it's supposed to before they even go home and make that happen. So Joy brought up a great point. It's really like these physicians have a great website manner with mm-hmm. a lot of support versus a bedside manner. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And so I think that's great. And you know, you're right. I guess intuitively, hearing it come out of my mouth, that's right. But the more experienced clinician using the new modality, 
has the better ability to still take in that subjective piece of information and understanding, guide that dialogue mm-hmm. to get the, to the objective part where the most experienced people have seen and had the most exposure and experience as clinicians over the longest period of time to make the best assessment Absolutely. and come up with the best plan, whether it's coming in, sending a script to the pharmacy, etc. Absolutely. So That's the science of medicine. It's experience only. It's, mm-hmm. it, that can't be... That can't be replaced. Mm -hmm. But the technology we can use to better help access patients that don't have care, um, there's a lot of that. We really look into the social determinants of health. We don't want it to be something only some patients can access in Philadelphia, so we always think about that as well. Do you have any good examples, one or two, of success stories of where somebody who may not have had access through telehealth was given the access that they needed to to get a better outcome? So I think what I notice in a lot of our calls that we have are people who have said, you know, I would never have gone to the doctor for this because I just didn't have the means or the capability or the people or something like that, but I knew I needed to get checked out, and this was such a perfect way for me to do that in the comfort of my home. So I've had multiple people specifically say this, and these are things that need immediate attention, but things that I could actually treat and take care of over the phone and over the video and over a telehealth modality. So that's that's the one thing. And you know, we're we're attracting a different population who again says, I probably wouldn't have gone to the doctor and let it have gone on until I couldn't take it anymore. But now that I have access to it in a different way, this is this is what I would want to do. So I mean I, it's not very specific, but I can't even think of I can think of multiple people who've said that to me on, on our calls. That's tremendous. Yeah. I'm thinking of somebody once I saw, this was actually at my former job, I worked for a very large direct-to-consumer company for a few years, which is before I came to Jefferson, and there was someone, actually someone in the Azores, and they were two hours away from a doctor, and they were like, you know, I just need to know if I need to go in right now or not, because it is a big trek for me to get down there, And, and I was like, no, you don't. Take this cough medicine and wait it out. If this happens, then you go. And that is tremendously helpful for anybody. A lot of times reassurance is a big thing because most visits, surprising and interesting to say, but most visits end up just requiring reassurance, like, no, this is fine, or this is normal, or this is okay. And if you can do that through telehealth call as opposed to having to come in, it's fantastic. So if for emergency medicine, it's, it's a great way for us to use it. And the other fields that we're you know, trying to implement it in are things like post-operative visits where you need a visit, you need to make sure everything's okay, but you don't necessarily need to come in for that to happen. And so that's a great modality for surgeons or for oncologists that are doing radiation procedures to do that. And we've already been establishing programs like that to help that happen. Well, that's what I was going to ask before we move on to our next question. What does the evolution of telehealth look like for you all and for Jefferson? Telehealth is going to help us lead to generally a more home-based health care. So digital health, people, you know, it's devices and apps, you know, artificial intelligence. But a lot of these other types of products are trying to get better care for patients in their home, better remote monitoring. So I think that telehealth is going to be a portion of that. It's almost like all of those things are going to make telehealth bigger so that people can have health in their home and maybe only use standing clinics or hospitals for very specific things that really do need hands-on care because obviously that's never going to fully go away. But a lot of things that uh, we do now in medicine don't really need us. 
It's going to change the way we think about physical exam. It's going to change the way we think about a doctor's role in society and in the healthcare system. It's going to free us up to hopefully make people's lives more about not just disease, uh, treating disease, but prevention. I can see it being huge once we are able to establish this in a really large way. And on the flip side of it, um, you know, we, we do a lot of patient-centered care, which is exactly what we want to do. But this is also going to change the way operations work within hospitals, within clinics, within urgent cares, um, the, the number of people, the types of things, the flow that we use. I think a lot of that is going to change and has already changed within our hospital for hopefully, and I think for the better, because there's just a lot more, a lot less volume perhaps, or a lot more appropriate people coming in to see us in, in person that we can actually dedicate our time to help. Yeah, I think in an organic way, it almost leads you to this selective focus where that hands-on treatment, where the people that need that level of touch from a physician and those clinician support members actually get it, and it's going to be very comprehensive, very thorough, while you're able to kind of in this other way, through that other modality of telehealth, you know, allocate appropriate time and resources to those people based on that level. Exactly. Yeah, so that's, that's really exciting. All right, let's transition to our next question. If you could snap your fingers and have, and consider magical thinking, right, here, if anything were possible. Wait, you just said magical thinking to two physicians. I know. <laughs> oh, we, do you know what's interesting? I think we're concrete thinkers as physicians, but we're not. There's so much art and magic to the way medicine works. We're, we're, we're comfortable in magical thinking. Okay, good. good. Well, this is about to get real utopian. Oh, okay then. All right, we're ready. Let's do this. Put the magical hat on, and if you could fix anything in health IT, be it one thing, potentially two, I'd like to hear from both of you, what would those things be and why? So when we first had started talking at our the meetup that we were at, uh, the big thing I would want to see is getting rid of that bias data. If we could figure out what real data looked like, we would be able to input it better. It's much more of a concrete thing, not really magical, but it is kind of magical in the fact that we've accrued so much data already and we don't even know, is it going to work for women? Is it going to work for people of color? Is it going to work for um, people in the LGBTQ community? Because we're just inputting all of that. It's a great answer. I like that. Um, mine is probably more idealistic and it also addresses something that we've spoken about earlier. I just want non-incentivized free exchange of data so that we can actually help each other yeah. do the that things that we magical. need to do. That's magical. It is magical. <laughs> you asked me. I know. No, I feel like yeah. uh, there was a great point earlier by Joy. She said everyone talks about sharing and yeah, everyone no wants the it. sharing. But no one does. It's like everyone's a bad. bad everyone's a bad toddler. That's yeah. <laughs> me, me, me. Right, right. And, and I think it's it's also just the way the, the society is. Right. You need to focus on that. You need to have some sort of space that's yours. You need to have some sort of product that's yours. And yeah. you don't want to give up that. Academicians are just the same. Yeah. Absolutely. And they say everybody should should share their data, but actually you should all share your data with me. Yeah. And I'll house it and yeah. then I'll share it back with you. Yeah. And it's like yeah, no no no. That's Ac- still, you're right. Okay. Academicians still just we the, same. the same. We thing. want our names on the papers, we want our names on the studies, we want to be able to do things because that's how we are judged on our success and the way that we're promoted. So that's just how it is. And I don't know how to break that, but if there was a magical world, that's what I would want to do. You know, uh, our son was diagnosed with a rare disease, and there were a lot of different people in academic medicine working in different areas, 
um, on certain projects, and it really wasn't until we had almost a thousand parents across the nation all yelling at the exact same time and creating this media buzz where people stood up and the folks in northeastern academic medicine said, okay, I'll work with the guy on the west coast and the guy in the southwest, and they are collaborating on a project and trying to get that intersection of public and private going together. Mm But the years of feeling like they were really screaming into the wind was finally realized by the physicians and trying to get public attention. It's like, all right, we all have to play nice in the sandbox. Absolutely. Um, Last question. We're trying to build a reading list for the Hit Like a Girl pod community. We want to hear about a book you're reading or have read, so current or past, that really either had an impact on you personally as a woman in health or maybe it's even fictional that just really resonated with you. What's the title and, and why? It can't be a textbook, ladies. Oh, that's really <laughs> I would never suggest that. No one should read that's our right. emergency no medicine textbook. No one should read our emergency medicine textbook. <laughs> Ever. Unless they're doing this. I know we picked the right two women to speak to this morning. <laughs> you know, um... I know some people find her problematic, but there was a Brene Brown book I just mm-hmm. read called Dare to Lead. Yeah. I found it really interesting because, well, one specific portion, and I'm happy to share this, but about the whole, what are your two values in life? Because she was correctly pointing out that we think there's five or six, but really there's two. And if you can dive down to find what your two are, it will help drive all the decisions you make and figure out why, you know, is making something making you unhappy because you're not uh, aligning with that value of yours. And once I, you know, drilled mine down, I realized that it was absolutely true. And so I've tried to make a conscious decision every time I'm thinking of doing or moving forward in my career or personally or anything, am I aligning with that vision? And it's made a lot of clarity for me. Um, so I found that very useful just recently. It's neat to hear that you found it useful to really be mindful of what those two are for you exactly. and how to help drive things. And of course, understanding your why. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, I think we end up just trying to do lots of different things. Um, you know, for example, I think a couple of years ago, I was trying to you know be digital health and telemedicine, and then I realized, okay, no, your niche is telemedicine. Just do that, and then it ended up becoming part of a bigger digital health. Portion and I now work in more digital health, so it actually ended up working out. But just concentrating on what I knew how to do opened the door. Shruti? I'd love to get back to you on that, because I have to think about specifically, you know, what I'm thinking, I read a lot of fiction, and what I'm thinking about are books that were in the medicine realm of things. I mean, the classic that when we talk about is House of God, and sort of are you guys familiar with that book? Do you have any idea? Oh, okay. I was going to say, tell us, tell our listeners. Everybody sort of talks about it. it. It's this approach. I think, I won't spoil anything. It's just, it's a, it's this person in training in medicine and the kind of their experiences and how they do it. But it's the approach to the patients and it's the approach to the system that seems very jaded, in fact, when you read that book. But it gives you such an experience of, uh, or a book to compare experiences to and kind of know that you're not alone, but also that you can be better. And it's just, it's a book that I'm pretty sure every medical student and every resident and every physician has probably read. Is it fiction? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's sort of based on him as his life, but it's it's a fiction. Okay. Yeah. I think patients might find it cringeworthy, but it, it is. is something that's the, that's that a difference. lot of people have read. It is a way that when you're, you know, really pressured and having a lot of stress in residency, it does show you how people think. 
and it really opens people's eyes or other people like residents eyes that this is this is happening to everybody and it really isn't normal yeah and it's you know you don't have to agree with everything that happens you don't have to agree with the actions of the characters in the books but you are able to recognize them in you and you in them and see where you might want to make the changes and be more mindful of the fact that this is happening and it's 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 a very interesting book all right Thank you. Thanks for that contribution. So, ladies, Shruti, Aditi, if our listeners want to find out more about Jefferson Hospital or find each of you personally or learn more about telehealth, Shruti, we'll go with you first. Where can they find you? What are your uh, what are your handles? Where where can they see you? So this is funny. I'm probably the most non-tech tech person there is, so I don't have any. But I will tell you, I will send you to the Jefferson website that has a lot of the information. So one is really easy. It's jefferson.edu slash telehealth. Okay. Go for it. You'll find everything that there needs to be, programs, et cetera, and hopefully that will send them where they need to go. Wonderful. And people want to find you? So on Instagram, you can find me at, at Dr. Aditi, A-D-I-T-I, U Joshi, J-O-S-H-I, and on Twitter at Dr. Aditi Joshi. Thank you guys for coming to talk to us today and tell us about your piece of the health IT puzzle and health technology with telehealth. Thank you so much for having Thank us. Thank you we for having us. It. Wonderful to meet you both. Yes, same to you. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon.